0: Welcome to the FBH Podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. Flip over to James chapter 5. If you have a device, you can click open to, to James chapter 5. And we're going to be wrapping up this series uh, today uh, since next week we're launching into our, uh, our Christmas series. Um, and in James 5, James, uh, no, no surprise here, uh, James has some, uh, some pretty harsh Pretty harsh words for all of Jerusalem, uh, but he comes down pretty hard on a very specific group of people here uh, in general, specifically the rich people who were not giving. Um, And this is kind of quintessential James. James is going to tell the truth regardless of how it makes you feel. And um, if, you read, if you have read through the book of James as, he, as we've been walking through it, he just kind of lays it out for everybody to, to play it out in a sense. He's just like, hey, this is what you should be doing if you call yourself a Christian. He's going to tell the truth. And this is apparently known even while he was uh, alive as well, that this guy was all about not just writing what was right or saying what was right, but doing what was right regardless of what it cost them. And we're going to see that at the very end of everything. But the same tone that he takes in the book of James, is the way that he actually lived his, lived his life. And so as you're flipping to chapter 5, I just want to take a second and make you think, where is it that you personally place your faith? Where do you place your faith? And the reason I ask that is because I think if you're a Christian, you're probably going to say the Sunday school answer, and maybe that's going to come to your mind. Well, the right answer is Jesus. The pastor wants me to say Jesus right now. Where do I place my faith? I place my faith in Jesus. But I think if we're being honest with ourselves, we would probably recognize that we oftentimes place our faith everywhere possible before it is that we reach out to Jesus. I mean, think about any time that you maybe have a loved one who is sick or, or, or like severely sick, and your prayer life goes to the roof all of a sudden when you have no control over what it is that you have going on, right? Why? Because you can't rely on yourself anymore. I think if I'm, if I'm talking about myself, like where do I place my, uh, my own faith? I think I place my faith in my own ability to get things done. And that's why I tend to get so, so stressed out when things are, are not going the way they're supposed to go. That means I have failed in some area, at least what's the, the way I make my, make, myself, make myself think. Because I've taken my faith and I put it into my own hands rather than in the hands of Jesus, the hands of the, uh, of the body of Christ. I think I can do everything on my own, and that's where I place my faith and my ability oftentimes to do things because um, I know that if I do it on my own, then I know that I'm either going to do it correctly or I only have myself to blame, right? And so it was, uh, my wife and I were actually joking about this very thing. We're on our way up to, to Atwater for, for Thanksgiving, and so we're driving up, and, and there was a person going 40 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone. Come on, man. I'm trying to be thankful and that's what you're doing? You're driving 40 in a, uh, in a 55 and it's incredibly frustrating, especially since we're trying to get to my mom's house on time, because if we're not there on time, who else is gonna sit on the couch and watch football? You know what I mean? And so, uh, and so I told Sarah, I said like, if everyone just drove like me, we would be fine. This is the conversation we have. If everybody drove like me, we'd be fine. And she said, what do you mean drove like you? It's like, well, I, I, like what I mean is, if, is if, if everyone just drove correctly, we would be fine right? And so like that's just the way I think. Like, I, like Most likely, I am driving the, to, to the best of anyone's ability to drive. And so because of that, if everybody just simply drove like me, everybody like we would be moving along quickly and everybody would be at Thanksgiving on time. And so in my head, I need to get things done and they all need to be done correctly. And the only one who can do them correctly is me, all the way down to the question that we posed on social media the other day. Um, we posed a question on social media. We listed nine Thanksgiving food items. You may have seen this online, and we said, "Get rid of one Thanksgiving food item." So just for a second, turn to the person next to you, and I want you to tell them of any Thanksgiving food items, which one you would get rid of. Real quick. Go ahead. I heard Turkey. that is blasphemous. This is Thanksgiving. Sorry, your call. It's your call? I apologize. So tell the per- OK, now really quickly, I want you to tell the person next to you why it is that they are wrong. Because the reality is is, is, is oftentimes, even in things like this, things that are completely and totally subjective, things that don't matter at all, that you think, that at least I think to myself, no, you are absolutely wrong in your assessment. My brother-in-law and I had a, had a conversation. We, we did our Thanksgiving with Sarah side on Wednesday. My brother-in-law and I had a conversation about this very thing. It's where the social media posts came from. We're like, okay, if you had to get rid of one thing, one Thanksgiving food, what would you get rid of? And and I said the right answer, which is rolls, right? The right answer is rolls. I know, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I will gladly take a Thanksgiving meal and leave a roll off of my plate. I will donate rolls to anybody else's plate so I can double down on stuffing, right? And so, like, that is my, like, and that was completely and totally subjective. Me and my brother-in-law got in a fight over it, right? Because he was like, You're, that's ridiculous. You can never get rid of rolls for Thanksgiving right? But in my head, I am correct. I am placing my faith in, in, in the things that I believe, the things that I do, the things that I deem as, as correct. And so because of that, I, when I put my faith oftentimes in my own abilities, rather than trusting God to be able to come through with everything, I get into a rough spot. And this is what James is going to often, or James is going to talk about a little bit today. And maybe you're like me, so I want you to think about it for yourself. Maybe you're like me, and you, 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 that is true of you. Maybe you've placed your faith somewhere else though as well. Maybe you've placed your faith in money. Maybe you've placed your, you know, if you you think to yourself, if I could just if I could just win the lottery, everything will be good. I'll be taken care of at that point. Maybe you place your faith in your work, and so I have value. If I go to work and I do the things that I'm supposed to do, then I have value at that point. Right? Or maybe you place your faith in in your family or or other people. I don't know what it is for you, but in this passage in James 5. He is going to bring this harsh condemnation against greedy, rich people who are largely placing their faith in their money and largely placing their faith in their possessions rather than placing their faith in Christ. And I think we need to know here that that at the end of chapter four, James is talking about how some people trust in their arrogance. And this is largely what I was talking about for just, just a second ago largely trust in their own ability to do things. And now he's going to shift from not just your ability to do things, but now. The things that you have, um, like your possessions, all all of your riches and that sort of thing. And to be fair, I think this is something we are all guilty of at times. And not necessarily because every single one of you deals with greed or has an issue with greed or anything like that, but I think the society in which that we find ourselves is not only one of the most affluent countries in the entire world, we also live in a time that is one of the most affluent times in the history of the entire world as well. And so because of this, this is something that we really, really need to make sure that we have a handle on, this idea of greed and, and greediness. Because people oftentimes put their trust in their bank accounts rather than putting their trust and putting their faith in God. So let's look at the passage together. It's James 5, verses 1 through 6. We're going to read the whole thing. And we'll go back and chunk it up a little bit. It says, now listen, you rich people. Half of you are like, all right, I'm good. I can leave. Uh, now listen, listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not... Opposing you. So James is pulling no punches here. James is like, hey, this is the way things are are gonna go down. He straight up condemns these people. So I think the question needs to be, who is James talking to? Because as we've talked about in the past, the past couple weeks anyway, we recognize that James' audience is largely the church in Jerusalem. James was a leader in the, the Jerusalem church. Uh, but we need to understand there's some differing opinions regarding who his audience is because largely his audience is going to be the Jerusalem church. But for these specific six verses, there is some people who believe that he is talking about a specific group of people who is not necessarily a part of the church. Just this one specific incident of people who were rich who were greedy who withheld wages from other people and that they are going to be condemned at some point. There is another school of thought that says, no, these people were actually within the church. These people were within the church in Jerusalem. Because of that, James is doubling down on his language here and that this condemnation that he's going to have for them. Regardless of who it is that he is talking about, the major point remains the same. No matter to whom he is speaking, Uh, we need to pull from this, that this greediness, this idea of not not being giving with the riches that we have is going to be a bad thing. So even though this group that he's talking to is up for debate, our takeaway remains the same. James is not taking lightly to people who are greedy, and that's what we're going to see in a very real way. So greed is one of those sins, by the way, as we continue to get into this. Greed is one of those sins, by the way, that oftentimes kind of has to be self-diagnosed. It's one of those sins that you can kind of just tuck away, and no one can really see much of it, right? Because we are all very tight-lipped about our finances, about our money, about how much we give, about all of those different things, right? And some of that's really good, and some of that, though, can be unhealthy, right? If this is a sinful thing for you, and you are not confessing that sin to other people that are in your life, people maybe who are in your small group, your family, whatever it may be, then this sin can largely go unchecked. We need to make sure that we are not struggling with this idea of greediness at all, because it has to be this idea of self diagnose And we're, like I said, we're close, close-lipped about, about all of these things. I don't know if this necessarily this piece falls into the greed category or not. But last year we got all of our boys' bank accounts for Christmas. It was like, here's a bank account, twenty bucks in your bank account, right? And we wanted them to, you know, learn to manage money. And the reality is, is uh, I kept wanting to give the boys money for chores that they were doing that I didn't want to do, right? Like any good father would, and I never had cash on me, so it's was like, what's a good workaround? Oh, I'll just get him a bank account that I can transfer money into. So we got the four big kids' bank accounts, but Noah, our youngest, the bank was like, you're too young. That kid is too young. He's not allowed to have a bank account. So we gave Noah a $20 Target gift card. You would have thought that kid won the lottery, right? As far as he was concerned, he was a millionaire at that point. And he was like, I got a $20 gift card. and Because and, his brothers didn't get anything. They just got bank accounts that they could see digitally, right? Like all my money is in there. And Noah's like, uh-uh, I got a gift card right here. What'd you fools get? <laughs> Fake money? Yeah, right. So Noah, now all the time, anytime his brothers are coming around and talking to him about, or talking to Sarah and I, they're like, oh yeah, I really want this video game, but I can't afford it right now. And Noah will just appear out of nowhere and be like, I can buy it but he won't and then he'll just turn around and walk away, right? Well, he still haven't even spent his $20 Target gift card at this point. He thinks he's a it's, it's absolutely ridiculous and over and over, like it just tends to, tends to keep, keep happening. He just wants people to know, I have the ability to use my money, but I'm actually not going to use my money, I'm gonna hoard it over you. And greed itself, unchecked, if that continued, unchecked, that in itself will actually lead to misery. Greed leads to misery, which I think is an interesting takeaway because oftentimes, like I said, we think to ourselves, if I can just have a little bit more money, if I can just have a little bit more money at the end of the month, then finally we can get out from under our bills, we could pad our savings account a little bit, we can just be more comfortable. And we think to ourselves, well, money, okay, that is just gonna, that's going to lead to that comfort. But James is actually saying it's actually just going to lead, lead to misery, you might have thinking to yourself, wait, wait a minute, I see a lot of greedy people who get more and more wealth for themselves and, and push and shove their way through life in order to get more and more, and they don't, they don't look miserable. Actually, they're really happy in that nice new shiny car. But this is what James says in verse 1. Again, it says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. James says, these miseries are coming. They're not here yet, but they are coming. And these people are taking comfort in what they have now. They are finding this idea of kind of a false comfort and false satisfaction through this greedy consolidation of wealth or greedy consolidation of riches, not realizing that one day they are going to be facing misery, that's what the, the pursuit of riches this is like self-dependency. The self, self-pleasure is at some point going to fail everyone because it is sinful. Let me say it again, maybe in a slightly, slightly easier way to understand. Hoarding your money is sinful if you're a Christian. Instead, we should turn to God and, and, and be, be humble in the way that we act, right? James 4, we were in last week, in verses 8 and 9, it says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. The is saying, we need to be able to mourn over our sin, including if we are being greedy. Any sinful inclination we have in us, we should mourn over that. And so we should seek this humility and God's way for us. So James is telling his readers here, listen, misery is coming upon you because you have sinfully sought out your own pleasure and have rejected the way that God wants you to go. So then you look at verses 2 and 3 then. Well, if misery is coming, what, what, what does it mean? Well, it says, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. So James says, look, all you have, all of it, it's all going to fade away. It is currently now fading away. This little kingdom that you have built up on earth because of, look at all of my riches, all of that wealth, all of those riches are fading away. You know, like when you get, when you get a new pair of shoes and you're, you're like really proud of how nice your shoes are, Right? I got a new pair of shoes uh, like a month ago, six weeks ago, something like that. And they were like bright, like gray and like white, like the white on the bottom. Like I was walking through on Wednesday night and a couple people actually said something about like how, how, oh, new shoes, huh? And like I'm walking like this because I don't want to get a scuff on them anywhere, right? Like I look like that creepy guy back in the kid's, kids wing that I'm just like walking around like, like this. And you don't want to walk across the grass because you don't want to get dirt on them, right? You don't want to run on them because you can't get a crease on the top because then all of a sudden none of these things are nice. But then something fateful happens one day. One day, You scuff your shoes. And man, that is a miserable, miserable day to, to scuff your shoes. And everything, everything still works. Everything is still functional. But after that, you don't care anymore right? You're taking the path of least resistance at that point. You don't care what your shoes look like anymore. Oh, it's just another scuff that I'm going to get. And that leads to, well, it doesn't matter if I mow the lawn in my shoes, it's going to be fine. And then you have green stains on your white new shoes, right? At least that's what I had when I was in junior high. Everything that we accumulate for ourselves, even those things that we, we have incredible amounts of pride in, every single thing is wasting away everything will completely and totally waste away. Every single deal you got two days ago on Black Friday, which may or may not have actually been a deal, all of that is going to waste away. And James says that even their gold and their silver, it will one day waste away. And those are precious metals, right? He says that the very fact that these things are wasting away is a witness to those who have trusted in their material possessions and not in God. James is saying, look what you've trusted in. It's dying away. You've banked on this, bringing you happiness. You've banked on this, bringing you security. And it is going to fail you 100% of the time. Even though they have stored up for the last days, their riches will do nothing for them at the very end, is what James says. Their greed will fail them when it comes to eternity. So in a sense, in the end, greed leads to misery. But again, it seems like one of those, those invisible sins, something that you can kind of hide from almost everyone, but God sees it. Look at, verse, look at verse 4 then. It says, look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters, of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Trying to hide it? God hears it. God sees it. God knows exactly what it is that is happening when we selfishly pursue greedy riches. In fact, he sees all things, right? So we even talked about last week, God's omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnipresent. He know he, he's everywhere. And so James sees or James says that God sees our greed at that point. James says here that actually God hears the greed of those who selfishly pursue riches. The cry of those who who harvest the fields owned by the rich has, has reached God's ear. And so James tells us that in their pursuit of wealth, the greedy didn't pay what they owed to the field workers. The greedy didn't pay those that tended and harvested those fields. And so many of those workers probably would have been living paycheck to paycheck and would have been incredibly dependent upon that payment. And so as a result, they are crying out because of their need and the injustice of those in power. That we have, we have done a deed that you promised you were going to pay us for, and you have not done that. And so God hears their cry, and he hears the cries of those who are suffering from those same types of injustices today. And so like a lot of the sins that you think you can hide away, it's destructive to your private life on top of all of this. It's destructive to your relationship with God. I think greed is like that. I think spite is like that. I think envy is like that is like that, these sins that you can just kind of stuff down, it's your own attitude, it's in your own hearts, in your own spirit, that you're kind of wrestling with these different things, and it leads to these actions maybe that you would put forth, and normally maybe you wouldn't put forth. I think the biggest one though, honestly, if I'm being completely honest, is the idea of sexual sin, especially pornography. With all of these sins, we think, well, it isn't hurting anyone, so I should be just fine. It's only me, so I should be just fine. The reality is, though, that unchecked sin in our life is creating a roadblock between us and God, regardless of what the sin is. I don't know if the sin is greed. I don't know if the sin is sexual impurity. I don't know if the, the, the sin is, you know, fill in the blank, whatever sin it is that you are, you are wrestling with. But we talked about it last week. Every time that we are distracted by things other than Jesus, we're wasting time on distractions rather than pursuing building up the kingdom of God. That's what James said in in chapter 4. So while we're wallowing away in our sin that God absolutely sees, you're not hiding it from him. We are actually wallowing in our own lost potential. Simply because we are dealing with unchecked sin in our life. So just like God sees all of our sin, he sees all of our greed, and our greed is also self-deceiving. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says, You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. The greedy person is deceived because the greedy person thinks he is safe. That's why this idea of self-deception comes from. He thinks he's gonna be living in luxury, but at the end he is not. James said that in verse one. Misery is coming for, for the greedy rich person. And so James says, look, you've lived luxuriously, you've indulged yourselves. But in reality, what they're doing is actually they're fattening up their hearts to receive the judgment of God. James actually refers to this as the day of slaughter, which is pretty terrible imagery. And as even we're still digesting Thanksgiving, it makes me think about the turkey most of us had a couple days ago, fattening up for the slaughter. Right? Just think about that turkey in their little cage. Actually, a couple years ago, uh, my stepdad helped raise a 53-pound turkey for our family. 53 pounds. I don't know if you tur- cook turkeys or not. That's a big old turkey. That's that's like a seven-year-old, right? Not turkey. Like, it was so big that we legitimately had to cut the turkey before we cooked the turkey because it didn't fit into the oven correctly, right? I mean, it was huge, and so my, my stepdad would go, and it was at his friend's house, so his friends primarily took care of it and raised it and all that stuff. And He would go, and he would help feed it and like say hi to it. I don't know if he said hi to it or not. I don't know if you give it a name to a turkey that you're about to kill, but, but he brought that turkey back, and man, it just, like, it had, he cut its talons off as they were, as they were you know, and um, brought the talons. They were like eagle talons. It was crazy how massive this turkey's feet were. So, I can just imagine this 53-pound turkey just strutting around in a turkey pen, right? Like, thinking to himself, I am getting so, uh, like, where is my next meal coming from, pushing aside the other little turkeys like, I am safe. I know exactly what's going to happen. This guy's going to come in. He's going to have a handful of whatever it is that he's feeding me. I'm going to eat it. Y'all aren't going to get it. And I'm going to be sitting here fat and happy and safe in my little pen. Little did that turkey know that a couple days later, the Anderson family going to eat up that 53-pound turkey, at least part of it. Most of my kids don't eat most of their turkey, so half that turkey probably went into the trash but that's what we assume. We assume to ourselves that that we are safe. We assume that our possessions, our riches, all of the things that we have make us safe. We depend on those things. One of the reasons that I know that we depend on those things so, I mean, so much is I think half this room would be terrified if they got fired from their job. Why? Why? because they don't have the money coming in in two weeks or the next month or whatever it may be. We depend on those things. We have oftentimes put our faith even in those things. So just like the turkey was fattened up for the slaughter and maybe for it to be a better meal or a better sacrifice back in the day, James says that the greedy are fattening up their hearts to be more ready for the judgment of God. And we think, we think we're safe but God will judge them. And the more they indulge in that greed, the more appropriate his judgment is upon them or us. So finally, James talks about a couple more, couple more things with these people. He says that they have condemned and murdered the righteous. And this is where many people think this may be an isolated incident outside of the Jerusalem church. There was actually a murder that was committed because of, these, uh, because of this mistreatment. So as I said earlier, a lot of these laborers uh, Of the rich, probably depended on every last penny that they received and probably underpaid, right? Uh, And probably easily skipped over. And as a result of this lack of payment or some other form, maybe of harsh treatment, some of them apparently died. At least we can kind of infer that. And so James says to the greedy rich people, You're responsible for their death, and God sees it. Why? Because you've, you've hoarded your wealth, because you want to be greedy. And so, greed is self-deceiving. Greed will make us think that that everything is okay, that we are secure, and that our happiness can be obtained by gaining more and more and more material possessions. But James says that, that our greed leads to injustice and sometimes even murder. Not only that, but God sees that and He is going to judge us for that. So, the question then becomes, how then do we combat the sin of greed? How do we move forward from there? The first thing we need to recognize is that while you can establish healthier habits, you can never defeat sin in your life. That's Jesus' responsibility. And he does it way better than you could ever do it anyway. He went to the cross to take on your sin of greed. He went to the cross to take on your sin of envy. He went to the cross to take on your sin of pornography or lust or whatever it may be. It is done and it is taken care of if you have come to a saving faith in Jesus. But if you have come to a saving faith in Jesus, you also need to recognize that it's your responsibility to choose to follow him every single day of your life, becoming more holy, becoming more like Jesus. The theological term for that is being sanctified. So I think we combat greed on one level. We can combat greed by recognizing that your money, your riches that you have been blessed with is not yours in the first place. Psalm 24.1 reminds us of that. The earth and everything on it, including its people, belong to the Lord. The world and its people belong to him. So all of your stuff, all of your Christmas presents, belong to God. Your bank accounts belong to God. Your spouse belongs to God. Your family belongs to God. Your kids belong to God. The earth and everything on it belong to the Lord. So your riches are not God's, or are not yours, they are God's. And when we, when we begin to recognize this, it's a whole lot easier to combat greed on a second level, which is giving your riches away. Everyone as a Christian is responsible to being, to, to being extremely generous with the riches they have and refusing to hoard those things, refusing to be greedy with those things. And it's everybody's responsibility, not just those people who, who are more affluent or anything like that. I think a lot of times there's kind of like this misconception in, in church or misconception in people's minds that think, well, when I get more money, I'll be more generous. Nope. That's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. God even says when you're faithful with little, he'll give you much. So how is it that you are being generous with what you currently have? Now yeah, Maybe you're making, making 10 bucks a month. Congratulations, that's illegal, but you're making 10 bucks a month. Cool, give a dollar. Why? Because that dollar is yours in the first place. It's God's. And guess what? The other nine, it's also not yours. It's also God's. So steward that accordingly. That's what our goal should be, right? To be, to be abundantly generous with our money, to bless other people over and over and over again. That's what our goal should be, not just if you're rich, but wherever it is that you are right now. And throughout this book, James is warning us, many people are going to pretend to follow Jesus, and we are deceiving ourselves. We think to ourselves, oh yeah, I love Jesus so much. Show me your savings account." We are living like the world, not like followers of Jesus. And again, in this, we're not sure if James is speaking to greedy people from the culture at large, if he's speaking directly to greedy rich people inside the church of Jerusalem. In either case, we have to be cautious we don't end up as they did, because the consequences to that are devastating. We can't simply claim to be a Christian and foolishly think that everything will be gonna, that everything's going to be okay. Right? Our responsibility is to actually profess Jesus, is to actually believe in Jesus, to really live that out. And, and going back to what I said at the beginning, if you look at the life of James, that's what this guy did. Not just in his writing, but in his life. As we wrap up this series in James, I want to I tell you quickly how, how James died. Right? And I said last week that, that James is one of the reasons that I am confident that Jesus is who he says he is. James was the brother of Jesus, for those of you who weren't here last week, we talked a little bit about that. James, the brother of Jesus. I think you'd be pretty hard-pressed to find somebody who would die for his brother lying about being the savior of the world. But that's exactly what James does. James didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was when he was alive. It took the physical death, burial, and resurrection of his brother in order for James to believe it. And so beyond that, I took a, took a little bit of a deeper look at his death as well. And this is what I found, and this is largely church tradition and that sort of thing, and so some of it's reliable. This is not Bible, okay? So I want you to know that this, this is historical documentation. Okay? But some of the things I found was James was actually known as James the Righteous in a lot of circles. And in order to be someone who's righteous, you don't just talk about being righteous, you actually talk about it as well as walk, walk it out as well. So your word is your bond sort of, sort of thing. He was actually so righteous that the religious elite of the day actually used to ask him his opinion of who Jesus was. And history actually tells us that, that he would say Jesus is the savior of the world. So after a while, James influence It became so strong that even some of the rulers of the day believed in Jesus because of James which of course horrified the scribes and Pharisees. If you're new to church, the scribes and the Pharisees, these guys are always the ones who are at odds with Jesus. They're Jewish, they believe in the law, they don't believe Jesus coming in, that Jesus is going to be the savior of the world or anything like that. So there's like this rivalry between Jesus and the Pharisees going on. And so the Pharisees, man, they were afraid that people would be flocking to Jesus because of James the righteous continuing to proclaim who he was was. And so somehow the Pharisees, they thought it was a good idea that they could get James to discourage the people from believing in Jesus. I don't know whose idea this this whole thing was, but it's a terrible idea. So they asked James to come and stand at the top of the temple on Passover and speak. So at Passover, all of the Jewish community would have been coming to the temple. This is a massive crowd of people who are coming in and they're like, hey, James, go, go to the top up there. And they brought him to the top of the temple, and they shouted to him from below. And this is what this is again history. Oh, righteous one in whom I'm sure this is how they spoke. Oh, righteous one in whom we're able to place great confidence. The people are led astray after Jesus, the crucified one. So declare to us what is this way, Jesus? Like who is he? Who is Jesus? Is what they're asking, and obviously not a very wise thing for them to do. They obviously didn't know James very well at all because James was going to take full advantage of such a wonderful opportunity. He's going to take advantage of this situation. And this is what he said, why do you ask me about Jesus, the son of man? He sits in heaven at the right hand of the great power and soon come in the clouds of heaven. So what he says, he says why, why are you asking me about Jesus? He's up with God, the savior of the world, my brother. Yeah, he's, he's, he's with God. And of course, the Pharisees at this point are horrified absolutely terrified at this point, because they have given James this massive audience of all of these Jewish people who were coming to the temple, and then they put James on the temple simply to proclaim who Jesus is, apparently, at this point. So they don't know what to do. They, 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 they start getting worried and freaking out and all this stuff, and, and then the people below, they started shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Right, so they start testifying to Jesus as well. They're like, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. The Pharisees, they realize they've made an awful mistake and they start crying out, like, No, no, the righteous one, James the righteous, that guy's an error. Don't listen to that guy, which I'm sure had almost zero effect on the crowd. And so the next obvious thing to do at that point, if you're a Pharisee, is to, to silence James. That was their goal. And so, in order to silence James, they sent a couple guys up there and shoved James off the top of the temple. Just pushed him off. Like, they can't hear about this. They can't hear about Jesus' brother proclaiming Jesus as the Savior of the world. Crazy thing is, it actually didn't kill him. According to church history, he rose up and started praying for them. And James, as he rose up and he started praying for them, he, he said, I beg of you, maybe this sounds familiar, Lord God, our Father, forgive them they don't know what they're doing. The Pharisees on the ground, they began to, to stone him, throw rocks at him as he's sitting there and praying. I know it's from the roof, they're rushing down to kind of join the execution and James is praying and people are throwing rocks and, and all of this chaos is happening and a few seconds later, a fuller, that's a fancy name for a guy who did laundry at the time, took out a club that he used to beat clothes and hit James in the head with it. Killing James. So that effectively is the end of James' life. Why does it matter? Why does it matter how James died? Throughout James, we see this guy have harsh words over and over and over again. Words that are are seeming that seemingly raise the bar of Christianity to what sometimes feels like an insurmountable level, but James simply tells us: no, 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 this isn't insurmountable. This is simply what it looks like to be a Christian. These are the things that you have to do. See, James didn't just talk about loving Jesus. James was literally willing to do anything for him, including die. Jesus says in Matthew 6 that we should store up our treasure in heaven, not store up our treasure on earth. So to tie the whole thing up and together, James was not willing to store up his treasure here on earth. He did not want Christians to store up their treasure here on earth. His goal was to store up treasure in heaven by doing whatever it took to live for Jesus. And that's what we're called to do as well. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for the book of James. And thank you for not even raising the bar, just putting a bar in place that we are supposed to be able to hit as your followers. And so, God, I pray that we would take his words, and maybe it's Words about greed and money. God, maybe it's words about being humble. I pray you would just take a second and allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of you. Allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate the things in your mind, the things in your life that you are struggling with and maybe it's greed, maybe it's white knuckling that money, white knuckling your pocketbook. Maybe it's pornography, maybe it's lust. I don't know what it is but I just pray for just right now for just a second just grieve that sin and apologize to God. And if you want to be part of the family, you can simply pray along with me now. Say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, that I fall short every single day, but B, I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me, to take my sin, and see that I would choose to follow you every single day of my life to live like James did, so we can be more and more like your son, Jesus. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.